Hello and welcome to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Stoffenbaugh with today's encouraging word titled, Pray the Prophecy. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you, and we're going to have a wonderful message called Pray the Prophecy. I'd like you to pray with me at the very beginning. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we want you to teach us something that would help us to fulfill your purpose for our lives, our purpose in the world for which you created us. And we pray that we'd learn something that would help us bring your will into effect on the earth. Now, thank you for listening to our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You know, almost everybody wants to know what's going to happen next. And a lot of Christians spend a great deal of time and effort to discover and think about the latest, quote, prophetic word, unquote. And then they want to know what the prophets are saying so they can know what's going to happen and when. Now, for instance, uh, one question might be, will President Trump be elected for a second term? So there's various people prophesying this, prophesying that. And uh, I respect the prophetic gift. Now, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he will tell you what is yet to come. And he's the only one that really knows the future. That's John 16, 13. Now, this is greatly beneficial because if God shows us the future, we can warn people, we can prepare we can repent, we can pray, or perhaps even flee to safety. However, we must be aware of a prophetic fatalism, a sort of a whatever-will-be-will-be attitude that causes people to only expend energy in finding the prophetic word, and then they get lazy and justify a dereliction of spiritual duty to pray for a positive, miracle-working power of God to be manifested yet again in the world. And for this reason, I want to call your attention to the relationship between prayer and prophetic words. Now, my first point is that God announces his will through the prophets, but he brings it to pass through the prayers of the intercessors. And when you have this mentality, then you'll respect prophecy as a revelation of God's will, but you'll combine it with fervent prayer for God's will to indeed be done. Now, there are many examples of this in God's word. So we're going to take Elijah and his prayer for rain. In 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, you know, uh, earlier in Elijah's ministry, he began his ministry by telling the wicked king Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. And so there were three years of famine. God had to hide Elijah in the various places and provide for him supernaturally. Ravens brought him bread and meat twice a day, and then a little widow uh, fed him uh, food that uh, the oil and the grain never ran out for the something like three years that he was there in her house. But eventually he showed himself to Ahab. They had the duel of the prophets where he said, whoever lights the sacrifice on fire, that is God. And so the false prophets prayed to Baal, nothing happened. And then he prayed to the Lord and God sent fire from heaven and burned up the sacrifice and the altar and the water in the trench around it. And the people fell down and worshiped and said, the Lord, he is God. And then uh, Elijah told King Ahab, Go eat and drink, for I hear the sound of an abundant rain. Now, that meant that he heard into the future. See, prophets can see into the future. Well, they can also hear into the future. And he heard the sound of an abundant rain. So he basically gave the prophetic word to the king. 
the famine's over. I've heard from God. God's sending the rain. So Ahab, King Ahab, went to eat and drink. But uh, the Bible says that uh, Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. That's uh, 1 Kings 18.42. Now, that's an oriental birthing position. And Elijah was going into travail in prayer to bring the prophecy to pass. Well, he prayed once and told his servant, go look towards the ocean uh, for a rain cloud. And he came back and said, there's nothing there. Well, Elijah could have said, oh, well, I, I prayed. And after all, God said it's coming. So let's, let's go eat and drink. Let's go party. But instead, he kept praying. So he sent his servant the second time, and he came back and said, there's nothing. Well, that went on seven times until a tiny cloud the size of a man's fist rose up out of the ocean. And then Elijah said to his servant, go tell the king Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before this rain stops you. And so then that little cloud became a huge, vast rain cloud, and, and uh, the famine was ended. Now, this is a classic example of two kinds of people. One hears a prophetic word and goes to eat and drink, just assuming it's going to happen as announced. But the intercessors use the prophetic word as a source of faith, a revelation of God's will, except that they realize that for God to bring his will to pass, he's going to use the prayers of his people. Now, if you think it's God's will, and you, you may not, you may be totally opposed to this, but let's suppose you think it's God's will for President Trump to be reelected, uh, and suppose you hear some prophetic word to that effect. Will you just go on and say, well, then it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. Or will you say, well, you know, I heard a prophetic word, and I know he's going to be reelected, but I believe I better pray about that. You see, when we hear any prophetic word about whatever it may be, and we just have the attitude, well, it's a done deal, um, and we fail to pray, uh, we're probably not doing the right thing. We probably need to pray in faith from the prophetic word, and then that guarantees that it's going to happen. And so I wonder how many Christians are acting more like King Ahab than acting like Elijah. They hear the prophetic word, they go to eat and drink, and they don't go earnestly pray and look for the miracle. Well, uh, intercessors know that prayer and prophecy work together. You see, prophecy reveals God's will, but believing prayer brings it to pass. Now, my second point is the example of Isaiah's prophetic word and King Hezekiah's prayer. When Hezekiah was king of Judah, the king of Assyria attacked and conquered all the walled cities except Jerusalem, and he was demanding a full surrender. Now, the Bible tells us that Hezekiah prayed for God to deliver the city and the nation, and that night God sent just one angel who killed 185,000 Assyrian troops, and what was left of that army got up and fled, and the nation of Judah was delivered. Now, what most people do not know is that the destruction of this Assyrian army was prophesied long before Hezekiah prayed. And this prophetic word was given in Isaiah chapter 10, and then not until chapter 37 in the book of Isaiah uh, do we see Hezekiah's prayer and God's response. In other words, God did not, answer, God did not fulfill the prophecy until Hezekiah prayed. Well, why did Hezekiah have to pray for deliverance if it was already prophesied? Now, first, we need to see that 
we, we need to see this prophecy of the major destruction of the Assyrian army that was very clearly prophesied by a real prophet, Isaiah, okay? And so we see in Isaiah 10, starting with verse 5, Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him against a godless nation, I dis dispatch him against a people who anger me, to seize loot, to snatch plunder, and to trample them down uh, uh, like uh, mud in the streets. But this is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy, to put an end to many nations. Are not my commanders all kings, he says? Has not Cal no fared like Carchemish? Is not Hamath like Arpad and Samaria like Damascus? As my hand sees the kingdoms of the idols, kingdoms whose images excel those of Jerusalem and her images, as I dealt with Samaria and her idols. And then the Lord continues, When the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. For he says... By the strength of my hand I have done this, and by my wisdom, because I have understanding. <clears throat> I have removed the boundaries of nations. I have plundered their treasures like a mighty one. I subdued their kings. As one reaches into a nest, so my hand reached for the wealth of the nations. As people gather abandoned eggs, so I gathered all the countries. Not one flapped a wing or opened its mouth to chirp. And then God continues, does the axe raise itself above the person who swings it or the saw boast against the one who uses it as if a rod were to wield the person who lifts it up or a club brandish the one who is not wood? Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will send a wasting disease upon his sturdy warriors. Under his pomp, a fire will be kindled like a blazing flame. The light of Israel will become a fire. Their holy one aflame in a single day. It will burn and consume his thorns and his briars. The splendor of his forests and fertile fields it will completely destroy as when a sick person wastes away. And the remaining trees of his forest will be so few that a child could write them down. Now that's poetic language. The forest there would be his army. And he's saying that there'll be so few of them left that a child could write down the number and that they would all be killed in a single day by a plague. Now, you'd think, you know, you get that prophetic word, you think, wow, everything's okay, man, this is in the bag. It's time to eat and drink like King Ahab. But that is not how it happened. You see, the country was almost completely conquered and then King Hezekiah received a letter that demanded surrender, and that letter really mocked God and Hezekiah's faith in God. So Hezekiah took the letter into the presence of the Lord, and he spread it out before God, and he prayed. And here's his prayer. Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heavens and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Now, it was in response to this prayer that the earlier prophetic word was fulfilled and actualized only 
when this prayer was prayed, did God fulfill the prophetic word that he would put to death most of the Assyrian army. Now, after Hezekiah prayed this prayer, Isaiah received another prophetic word that God had heard Hezekiah's prayer and would answer it. Now, this is a fine example of how prophecy and prayer should work together and not be independent of each other. Our third example is that of David praying about a prophecy. King David talked to the prophet Nathan and about building a temple for God because they always just had a tent of meeting. You know, the tabernacle was a tent. And uh, the prophet said, well, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night, Nathan received a prophetic word for David, and it was an amazing prophecy. And God said, go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving around from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I have commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you have gone and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Well, you see, this is a messianic prophecy. Jesus was called the son of David. Uh, both Mary and, and Joseph were descendants of King David, and, uh, and uh, God entrusted them to, be, uh, to care for baby Jesus when, when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and, uh, and uh, God took upon himself the form of man. So here's this great prophecy. Now, what was David's response? Did he just say, oh, man, what a prophecy. Let's go eat and drink. Let's go celebrate. No, he didn't get like Elijah in an oriental birthing position, so he didn't crouch down and put his head between his knees. The Bible says he went into the tabernacle of the Lord and sat before the Lord, and he prayed. Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? As if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. Now here's the prayer. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you have promised, so that your name will be great forever. 
Then the people will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Now, do you see here how the point, my point is that prophecy and prayer work together. And we should never just assume that no prayer is needed because of the latest, quote, quote, prophetic word. All right, now my fourth point, I just want to give you some more examples. To drive this point home, here are two other examples. Jesus himself gave this prophetic word in Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. But Jesus also said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers or laborers into his harvest field. That's Luke chapter 10. Now, this is a prime example of people getting lazy because of a prophecy. And the attitude is, well, the end is coming. Jesus is returning soon. All the prophetic signs point to it. Pack your spiritual suitcases because we're going to be taken out of here any moment now. And the prayer Jesus told us to pray is usually forgotten when the emphasis is totally on prophecy. How is the gospel of the kingdom going to be preached into the whole world unless we pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field? Do you see that prophecy and prayer work together? Prophecy reveals the will of God. Prayer asks for the will of God to be done and allows God to bring heaven's will to pass on earth. Now, I want you to ask yourself, if you ever, when if ever, you pray that God will send laborers into the harvest field, do you ever pray that God will cause a harvest of souls to come to Christ in Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Indonesia, Pakistan, Yemen, and all the other Muslim countries where the field is white unto harvest, but millions continue to die and enter eternity in a spiritually lost condition? I would say that even though you're Christians and good people and you're my friends, I, I would, my educated guess is that very, very few of us are praying, oh God, Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all the world. Now you must send out laborers into the field, speak to people, call people, equip people, provide finances for people, send those laborers out. God, we've got to have a harvest in every nation of the world. You see, that's what we ought to be doing with prophecy. We ought to be combining prayer with it. Of course, Jesus is coming again. But if the focus is only and always just on his coming, we forget about the great worldwide harvest before he returns in fiery judgment. Now, I'm going to say a statement. 
I think Satan himself keeps Christians arguing about every interpretation of prophetic scriptures so that we focus only on prophecies and who is right about their interpretation, and we completely forget to pray the prophecies. Now, my second point, my second example here, is that the judgments upon a godless world and the wrapping wrapping up of this age and the coming of Christ's kingdom on earth have been prophesied by many prophets, even hundreds of years before Christ, like Isaiah, for instance, but certainly for the last approximately 2,000 years by the apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. Now, we hear people say, well, I read the end of the book and we win. Well, that's true. That's true. But if you read Revelations, you'll see multiple times that prayer is mixed in with the fulfillment of prophetic words that have been announced for thousands of years in advance. Now, let me give you three scriptures from Revelations. Revelations 5.8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, that's when Jesus took the scroll, uh, the four living creatures... And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, that's Jesus, the Lamb of God, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. All right, now, Revelations 8.3 says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So here the angel is offering much incense with the prayers of the saints. Now, what does that incense represent? Well, incense smells good. I believe this represents God's prophetic words and promises. The revelation of God's will is like the incense, and then the prayers of the saints are combined with it to bring it to pass. And then in Revelations 8, 4, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So my point is one is not complete without the other. Now my fifth point is that Jacob, we're talking about the book of Genesis now, first book in the Bible, Jacob prayed God's prophetic promises to him and it saved his life. Jacob had uh, fled from his brother Esau when he, uh, he got his... Uh, birthright and he stole his blessing <laughs> and then his brother was going to kill him so he lived 21 years in a foreign country serving his uh, father-in-law Laban and then the Lord spoke to him and said to Jacob return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you Genesis 31 3 now as Jacob was obeying God and returning, he received word that his estranged brother Esau, who had vowed to kill him, was coming to meet him with 400 armed men, a virtual army. Now how many of you know you don't bring an army to a family reunion? <laughs> well, what happened here? Did you think Jacob just said, well, Lord, you said, uh, you know, you said uh, you'd be with me, so everything's fine. I'm going to just eat and drink. No, he went to prayer. And he said, Oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac and the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family and I'll deal well with you. I'm not worthy of the least of all the, these mercies and of all uh, the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I've become two companies. 
Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well. I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And notice he's praying, asking God to fulfill the prophetic promise, as if it's incense mixed with the prayers of the saints ascending before the throne of God. Now, God answered that prayer so that when Esau met him, instead of killing him, he threw his arms around Jacob and they both wept. (laughs) It was a miracle of family reconciliation. But it didn't come about just as a result of fulfilled prophecy. It came about as a result of prophecy mixed with prayer. Now, I wonder if in heaven some angel or elder around God's throne was offering sweet incense, God's sweet-smelling promise of blessing, combined with the prayers of this Old Testament saint. And the result was a marvelous fulfilling of the prophecy and a dynamic answer to prayer. Now, my sixth point, what if we viewed prophetic promises as incense that needs to be mixed with the prayers of the saints? (laughs) I think that would really change our mentality. So I'm going to ask it again. What if we viewed prophetic promises as incense that needed to be mixed or needs to be mixed with the prayers of the saints? What if we viewed the prayers of the saints as needing to be mixed with the incense of God's revealed will? Now, we should seek God to hear his revealed will through the scriptures and through inspired prophetic words. But we should pray the promise, pray the prophecy, so that God's will is actually done on the earth. Now remember, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God works to bring his will about through the prayers of his people because God gave man dominion on earth and so God works through our prayers. He doesn't just burst in and force his will upon mankind. Now, God spoke a prophetic word in the presence of Adam and Eve There really was an original man and an original woman, and uh, God created them. They fell into sin. Satan took over a serpent, spoke to the serpent, and so God said, I will put enmity between you. He spoke to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 6.15. Now this is a... The NIV says, instead of bruise his head, it says he shall crush your head, but you shall uh, strike his heel. Now, when Christ was crucified, this prophetic word was fulfilled. Satan's power and authority was crushed, as if the head of a serpent was crushed. And Satan was defeated by Christ's sacrificial death, burial, and then resurrection. Christ's body, however, hanging on the cross caused his heel to be bruised because when they nailed his feet to the cross, there was a little platform of wood that had been nailed to that cross for the feet to rest on. Now, hanging there, the weight of his body was resting on his foot. And as crucifixion pulls all all of a person's uh, bones out of joint, so it's excruciating, painful death. And so a person on the cross would push with his heel trying to ease the pain of having all your bones come out of joint and it would bruise your heel. Now that happened in all crucifixions. So for God to say clear back when mankind first fell into sin, 
he gave the prophetic promise that Christ was going to come, crush the head of Satan, but Satan was going to bruise his heel. Now, even that mighty prophetic word had to be mixed with prayer. And Luke's gospel tells us that there was an aged woman named Anna, a prophetic woman who never left the temple but served God night and day with fasting and prayer. And so she was praying that the Messiah would come. And there was also a prophetic man named Simon. He was praying for the Messiah to come, and God promised him that he would see the answers to his prayer before he died. And so uh, when Mary and Joseph were uh, dedicating baby Jesus, according to the, what the law said to do, uh, these two prophetic people took him in their arm and, and, and blessed baby Jesus. Now, they'd been praying for that prophecy to be fulfilled. In other words, God used the prayers to bring the prophecy to pass. And then God used Jesus' prayers to bring it to pass because before the cross, Jesus said, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There wouldn't have been a cross. There wouldn't have been a crushing of Satan's head if Jesus hadn't prayed, Thy will be done. Now, my sixth point, I want to give you a personal example. And not to make you think I'm anything great, uh, just as an example, in 1978, a friend of mine was praying. This was when I was first an associate pastor and ran a big bus ministry in Goshen, Oregon. And I had put a man in charge of the visitation. I was getting ready to resign and travel as an evangelist, and I gave him the responsibility for the uh, soul-winning team. And he really prayed, and one night a white cloud of God's glory enveloped him, and he received a prophetic word for each one of us that were on the adult visitation soul-winning team. Now, part of the prophetic word to me was this. He said, I saw you teaching as though you would draw a picture or write a formula on a blackboard, and as people listened, their answer would come. God has given you an anointing to teach and the gift of knowledge to explain truths from the Word of God. This gift of knowledge will enable you to teach a congregation at their level. You will know how to teach different congregations in different situations. You will know not only what to teach, but how to teach it. Well, that has been fulfilled and continues to be fulfilled because most of my sermons are illustrated with professional drawings, and occasionally I'll put something like a diagram uh, like the cycle of success, for instance. That looks kind of like a formula. But I can tell you that I've not sat back, closed my eyes, and just waited for this to be fulfilled. Rather, I have studied God's Word, practiced it, and prayed much that God would show me truths and then show me how to best communicate it. And, and so often I pray, take me over, Lord, take me over. Now, not only that, I've had to pray for the finances to get the drawings made. <laughs> And for instance, the book that I'm now working on on spiritual leadership has 51 drawings so far. We may make just a few more, I don't know, but the total cost will be well over $3,000 just for the drawings. Now, God answers my prayers for this because it's his revealed will that I teach in an illustrated way, and yet even though I have the prophetic word, none of it would happen if I didn't mix prayer with the prophecy. Now, my seventh point is, what happens if we don't mix prayer with prophetic words? And I would say, uh-oh, 
we have a major problem here. Why has it taken almost 2,000 years to get the gospel around the world and have it preached in all nations, and still 40% of the world has no church to go to? In 40% of the world, the people that live in those nations, there's 360,000 unbelievers for every single Christian and not a single place to go to church. Well, you know what? We simply haven't prayed the prophecy. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom will go into all the world as a witness to all nations, but we haven't prayed. Well, some people have, but the body of Christ as a whole just says, well, Jesus said it'll happen, it's gonna happen, and not mixed prayer with prophecy. We've been more like King Ahab. <laughs> go, go eat and drink. <laughs> instead of like Elijah climbing up to the top of the mountain and going into prayer. Well, now, I haven't done a very good job of praying the prophetic promises that God, God has given me. Some of them I've prayed more than others. Now, in that 1978 prophetic word, where God told me that I'd teach with illustrations, God said some other things. So I'm going to quote these to you and then admit to you that I haven't done a very good job praying and mixing prayer with this prophetic word. So here it is. Wes will be used to turn the hearts of children back to their parents. You will teach pastoral staffs to love each other and work together. I saw you ministering to family units, showing them that love covers multitudes of sin. And you will see with your own eyes as you go from place to place, families, churches, and staffs being put back together again. God has given you spiritual gifts and traits to use for uniting and strengthening the body of Christ, love, knowledge, understanding, and discernment. And he quoted uh, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And he said, God is going to show you a problem in a person's life or a problem in a church or a staff through the gift of discernment. He will show you the root cause, but he will also give you the answer. Love, knowledge, judgment, and discernment will work together for you as your love abounds more and more. I saw you able to start all different types of ministries and make them successful. This is the ministry of an apostle to which God has called you. With a great calling comes a great responsibility. Pray in the Spirit continually. Unquote. Now, I've seen some fulfillment. I've seen some families put back together again. And, but that prophecies that I just read to you I haven't seen a very big fulfillment. Maybe now as I'm teaching on forgiveness so many places, I'm seeing family units, although I don't know, I'm just preaching to a crowd, but probably family units are being healed and put back together. But my point is I've never prayed that over that. I've just assumed, well, God said it, he'll do it. Now that's a major mistake. I don't think I've ever laid that prophetic word out on a table and prayed over it like Jacob or David. Father, you gave this good word. Now bring it to pass for your glory. I've just thought it was God's responsibility to do it if he said it. And I've often wondered why there wasn't a greater manifestation and fulfillment in those areas. Now, friend, listen carefully to me. I'm not dead and you're not dead. <laughs> and maybe we could all wake up and stop acting like the responsibility for the fulfillment of a prophetic word is all on God. And we could learn, it's not too late to learn, that we can mix prayer, the prayers of the saints 
with the incense of God's revealed will. Now my eighth point, our behavior also affects prophetic words. God said to Jeremiah, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so you are in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, And if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I intended to do for it. Now therefore say to the people of Judah and to those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. That's Jeremiah chapter 18. Now I've often thought and uh, see what you think of this statement. We can almost write our own prophecy by our obedience. What we do is so important. If we obey God's word, we'll be blessed and we'll reap all the promises in the Bible given to the obedient. If we sin and fail to repent, then the prophetic judgments written in the Bible will come our way. Now, we need to deeply honor prophetic words without failing to realize that they can be modified at any time according to our obedience or disobedience. Remember Jonah's dire prophetic word to the city of Nineveh, that it would be destroyed in 40 days. There really was a Jonah. He really was swallowed by a great fish. Jesus himself is the one that quoted that scripture. That's not a fairy tale. Now, the city of Nineveh, and I've heard someone said that being in the great fish or whatever it was, a whale fish, there's a thing called a whale fish that cruises around with its mouth open, sifting plankton. It could have very easily swallowed Jonah. But it might have partially digested his skin so that he had big purple blotches. He might have looked really scary when he was burped back up onto the beach there and uh, went to deliver the prophetic word. <laughs> Whatever he was, the anointing combined with the way he looked scared them and they repented. They all fasted, they prayed, they repented, and then God didn't destroy them in 40 days. Now, similarly, if we get a good prophetic word and then we throw obedience to God out the window, God will change his mind about the promised blessings. So not only must we pray the prophecy, but we should obey God's revealed word. And then my last point. Whatever God names, we only get what we claim. Whatever God names prophetically, we only get what we claim. Now, when the prophet Elijah was old and dying, the king of Israel, and he was not a good king, but he came to the prophet. And Elijah, not Elijah, but Elisha, gave him a wonderful prophetic word that he was going to completely destroy the Syrian armies at Aphek. These armies had just about wiped Israel out. And there was hardly any army left in Israel. And the old prophet told the king to take, he said to shoot the arrow out the window. And he said, that's the Lord's arrow of victory over Syria. You're going to completely destroy the Syrians at Aphek. And then he said, take the arrows and strike the ground. He was supposed to act out striking the Syrians. Well, he struck three times and stopped and the prophet got angry. He said, uh, you should have struck five or six times. 
Then you would have completely destroyed the Syrians. But now, he said, you're only going to defeat them three times. And then if you read the record of Scripture, you'll see that he won three battles, but he didn't completely destroy the Syrians. And so you see how the prophetic word was given, but it wasn't completely fulfilled because of, shall we say, unbelief, a lack of claiming the word. And so whatever God names, you only get as much as you claim. God's supposed to name it. We're supposed to claim it. And that takes corresponding faith with our words and our actions. Now, we need to seek God for his revealed will. That gives us the very essence of faith when we know God's will. And this shows great respect for God's prophetic words and for the Bible, which is the perfect revelation of God's will. However, we must avoid a fatalism that says God said it, therefore it's done. That's the King Ahab response. Go, go eat and drink. It's a done deal. Rather, we must pray the prophecy like Elijah, like Jesus, like Anna, like Simeon, like David, like Jacob. We must claim the entire prophetic promise and faith and corresponding action so that we don't just receive a partial fulfillment. And we must consider that our obedience to God is basically like writing a prophetic word of what will happen in our future. Remember that God will say to some, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, promise God that you will respond like Elijah to prophetic promises and not just like King Ahab. Remember, Elijah kept on praying. He didn't just pray once. He kept on praying until he saw the fulfillment. Seven times he prayed. And then when the rain began to come, of course, he knew he, he had his answer. So let's believe God's revealed will. And then let's pray that God's will comes to pass for all to see, for God to be massively glorified. I believe God wants to reveal his will to each of us. And to the whole body of Christ, God gives special prophetic words. But we must pray, whatever God says. Let's remember that's like the incense, God's revealed will. Now let's mix it with the prayers of the saints and see the full fulfillment. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon 97426.